Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Well, good morning. Is everyone doing well? Wasn't that an awesome time of worship this morning? I could just sense the presence of the Lord. Man, I got emotional talking about just moving God's heart. I just started crying up there like a little baby. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, everyone needs a good cry every once in a while. I don't care who you are. God is so good. And I've said this before, um, but uh, I got a new revelation on the book of Revelation. Uh, It says that when we get to heaven, when we get to be in the presence of the Lord, that he will wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. And so, like, I used to puzzle me. I was like, well, then how come we're crying? You ever think about that? Like, there's no sorrow, no crying, no pain, but how come you can't be wiping tears from our eyes if we're crying, right? But so I was like, what is that? And then it just began to dawn on me that the goodness of God is so extreme, so overwhelming, that you can't help but become emotional in his presence. And so the crying that it's talking about is, is crying from pain and sorrow and, and things that are, like, bring trouble into life. But it's not talking about happy tears. And I just believe that when we get before Jesus, we'll be so overwhelmed in his presence, there will be happy tears. There will be a floodgate of emotion because we can't describe the goodness of our God. And, and we've been celebrating really what has introduced us to his goodness over the last several weeks as we've been looking at the 57 days that changed the world, looking at the sacrifice of Christ, the death on the cross, his resurrection, the triumphant day when he came in riding on the donkey, and then the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God is poured out. And so here we are in this this moment, as, as the church is born, the Spirit of God is being released. The disciples are going around preaching the gospel in power, in boldness. Signs, wonders, and miracles are beginning to be done in the name of Jesus, and it's having a ripple effect. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We kind of talked last week about how it didn't just stop there, but over the course of the next 500 years, that, that it became the dominant religion in Rome when Rome was trying to destroy it, when the Jews were trying to destroy it. Faith in Christ stood strong. Disciples went even unto death preaching the gospel, and it continued to flourish and grow until it became the largest and most dominant religion on the planet. It's, it's an amazing story that the Christian faith has. And here we are still feeling the ripple effects in the aftermath of that, that day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God is poured out. And that happened in Acts chapter 2, and we, we read some of that. And so today we're actually ending our series today on the 57 days that changed the world. And we're going to be looking kind of at the immediate aftermath just after the day of Pentecost where we find ourselves today. Again, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. The church begins to grow uh, rapidly. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says something that's kind of my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for the church, but our prayer for our church. It says that because of what was being done, because of the teaching of the apostles, the community that was being formed, the love that was being shared and experienced, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. 
And so that's my prayer for us, that God would add daily to our number those who are being saved. I'm all for people transferring from other churches if they have the right heart, the right attitude, and bringing the right spirit. But my heart is, is that God would add daily those who are being saved. Over the next 30 years from the day of Pentecost, we kind of get a snapshot of Paul's life. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has his conversion experience. And from Acts chapter 9 on to the rest of the book, the Bible really just shifts its focus on what Paul accomplishes. All the different missionary journeys, the churches that he starts, those that he was bringing to Christ, and how it began to expand and continue to move on as he goes into all the world. But then at the end of Acts chapter 28, nearly 30 years later, so the book of Acts covers about 30 years in total. So the cross of Christ happens about year 30, 33. About 60 AD is when the end of the book of Acts comes to a close. At the end of his story, Paul is kind of here in Rome. He had been taken captive in Jerusalem, and he appealed to the Roman authority to kind of get him out of the, the, the Jews' hands. And so now he's in Rome because he's been sent there awaiting trial, which we know ultimately will lead to his death. So he appealed to Caesar so he could get out of trouble in one city only to go to his final resting place. And while he's here in Rome, this is where many of his letters are being penned from prison, from, from captivity. And so he's writing to the church, he's appealing, he's still teaching, he's still instructing. And in Acts 28, he makes one final appeal to his Jewish brothers in the nation of Rome, in the city of Rome. And we're going to read Paul's last words, essentially, in, written in the book of Acts. In verse 17, it says, three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders and he said to them, brothers... I was arrested in Jerusalem. I was handed over to the Roman government. Even though I'd done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, the Romans even tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it was necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. So I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. And they replied, we have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who's come here, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it's denounced everywhere. Just think about this for a moment. The gospel's going out. People are getting saved left and right. But what is the testimony? What is the reputation of this new Christian faith? All the way even to Rome, the center of the, 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 the empire of the world at that time, as Paul is inviting these Jewish brothers to come and hear what he has to say. They said the reputation of this new faith even though it's growing rapidly, is that it's denounced everywhere. What does that tell you about how the world receives Jesus? He said, you will be hated because of my namesake. So if, if you're a believer or you're part of a church and the world loves you, there's something wrong with that. 
You are to be loving, but the world is not going to love what you have to say because it's counter to everything the world proclaims. Verse 23, it says, So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. He used the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. He took them from morning until evening. Imagine being in church that long. From morning till evening. One of my favorite stories, again, the Bible's hilarious. One of my favorite stories about Paul is he's preaching one of these morning to evening sermons in somebody's house. And some kid hanging in the second story windowsill falls out of the window asleep and dies on the street in front of him. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh. You know, Paul goes down and he prays over him. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. He's just, he's just knocked out. And the kid gets resurrected. It's pretty amazing. But he preached so long that a kid fell asleep to his death. Right? Paul was long-winded. So my 45-minute messages make Paul look real bad. So we're doing good. But from morning and evening, he persuaded them about the things of the Scripture, what they said about Jesus. In verse 25, it says, And after they'd argued back, back and forth amongst themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go and say to this people, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and their their eyes are closed, and they cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. And for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome you in this place. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge from, from the word, not to lose sight of the vision that you've placed on our hearts, placed on our ministry, what you've called us to do, God. And just like Paul, you've given us a specific purpose. You've paved out a specific path and a road. And God, we are so thankful that you're moving us into the next season of our ministry, of our life, and of our church, God. And we ask, God, for the same boldness, the same commitment, the same passion, the same fervor, the same uh, just endurance in, in just just overwhelming surrender to this call that Paul had in his life, even to his very last day. He gave his life for this whole thing. God, we don't want to be like soldiers who get caught up in civilian life. God, we want to be good soldiers who are at our post. We are on the ready, and we are responding to everything, God, that you have for us to do. God, we ask that unlike these Jews in this moment, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands and a heart ready to receive and believe all that you have for us. And if you agree today, my church, all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. What I love here is that Paul never stops preaching the gospel wherever he is, whatever situation he is in. The end of the book of Acts ends here in Acts chapter 8 with Paul reconfirming this prophecy from Isaiah 
Jesus also quotes this in the New Testament about the spiritual veil that's over many of the Jewish people's eyes. But this veil's over also many people's eyes. Not just the Jews, but unbelievers and even religious Christians who spend their day, their weekends in church, but it's like nothing seems to get through. Like they're here because they know they're supposed to be, but something hasn't come alive in them that, that makes them recognize this is not just something you do, this is who you are. That this is your new DNA as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. We, we don't just do this because we're supposed to, we do it because we want to, because we know who's here when two or more are gathered together. The name of the Lord, Jesus is here. We worship him, we honor him, we encourage each other. So they had spiritual veil that was hardening their hearts to the truth of the gospel. And because they wouldn't soften their hearts, here as he's, he's presenting the case for Christ throughout the, all of Scripture, and what does it say? They argued back and forth. They had something to say. They couldn't receive it. They had objections. They had skepticism. They had all these questions, and they couldn't just receive what Paul was instructing them. And so because they hardened their hearts and they wouldn't listen, Paul confirms God is redirecting the focus of the gospel mission from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. So the gospel came to the Jews first, the people of God, but in this moment, he's redirecting his attention from Jews to the Gentiles. And I'm so thankful that he did. Are there any ethnic Jews in the room today? Raise your hand. No one? That means we're all Gentiles. So praise God, the gospel's come to the Gentiles because we have a chance to be saved. So I'm so thankful that, that the gospel has come our way. And the chapter here closes, and so does the book of Acts, telling that he continues to preach Jesus, and nobody opposed him. He was so bold that he continued to preach, and God was just opening doors for him, even from prison, from house arrest in Rome, as he's awaiting trial, he's continuing to preach. And I, I just believe that's a testimony to us that no matter where our feet find themselves, no matter what circumstance we're in, if we are filled with the Spirit of God and we are bold in our proclaiming, God is going to make a way, he's going to open a door, and people are going to be saved. But the, this book closes, and it's kind of left open-ended. It just says he continues to preach, and no one opposes him, and that's it. That's the end. There's, no, there's not even a the end at the end of it, just like the end. And it kind of feels like unfinished, you know? And this has left many, even a whole movement of churches and Christians, to form a movement that's called Acts 29. So Acts 29 is not a missing chapter of the Bible. It's not something we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls when those were found. Acts 29 is a concept. And here's the concept. The story's now being written with your life and my life. The story goes on. From those who Paul won to Christ and discipled, now for everyone that comes thereafter. And though every church 
Every, every Christian is given the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and be sure of this, I will be with you even to the end of the age. This is the great commission. This is what Jesus has tasked his church to do from the, then his ascension till kingdom come. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So every church, every church you see has the same mission. Go and win them. Go and preach. Go and make disciples. Teach them to live a God-honoring life. Teach them to, to have relationship with God and grow in their intimacy with God to reveal God's glory in all the earth. But even though we have the same mission, God's given each church a different vision on how to accomplish that mission in a geographical area. And though we have this great commission to go into all the world, and God does call some to leave their home to go to a foreign nation and go preach the gospel into the nations. People are called into the mission field to go be apostles to foreign nations, to go preach, make disciples, and start churches. But, beloved, we have been called to this nation, and we've been called to this city and this community. This is where we've been called. God has sent us all here. How many of you were born in Clio? Raise your hand. There's a couple few. I don't know how you're born in Clio. There are no hospitals here. But you were born in this area, and you grew up in Clio, right? How many of you were born out of state? Okay. How many of you lived in a different city growing up? Many. But somehow, you're here. It's not by accident. It's not by chance. It's by call of God. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. And we've been called to form a faith family to negotiate the surrender of the culture to the lordship of Jesus Christ in this area and to prepare this area, this community, for the Lord's soon return. And again, there are many churches, and they have the, we have the same purpose, but we have a specific vision. And so our church, when we formed nine years ago, we formed on essentially six core values, things that we were going to build our church on that drives everything that we do. And, and I'm just going to go over these with you. We're not going to go into detail. We've, been, we've taught on these things before. Uh, a lot of this is online on our website, on our, our, our teaching archive. You can go back and look at it there. But here are the six core values that God has called us to build our ministry on. The first one is wholehearted worship, not religious participation. There are enough religious institutions where you can go in, punch in, feel terrible, punch out, and go back home and be the same. That's not what we're building here. It's a church that's built on wholehearted worship, and that's not just pouring your heart out to God when you sing. That's living a life of worship to God. It's living a life of faith, a life of repentance, a life of seeking God, passionate for God. Because God is more invested and more interested in your heart before him than how well you sing a song on Sunday. But here's the key. If your heart's right before him, you'll sing really well on Sunday. Psalm 22 says, God inhabits the praises of his people, which means he comes and he sits in, he soaks up, he saturates the space where his worship is being declared. So a heart right before God has the ability to pull his presence from the heavenlies into the earthly realm, and we get to experience the goodness of the Lord. 
The second is unyielding truth. We are people of the word of God. Do we have it all figured out? Nope, no one does. But our heart is, is that this is the foundation. This is the truth. It does not change. If anything in our life or in our mind or in our opinion or in our world disagrees with this, we bring that into agreement with the word of God. God's word is the truth. Jesus said, if you remain in the truth, it will what? It will set you free. So why would I conform to anything else? Why would I choose anything else that leads to bondage? We believe in unyielding truth of the word of God. We preach the truth. We seek to understand the word, and we declare it with all boldness. Number three is unceasing prayer. We believe that not only are we commanded to pray without ceasing, but prayer strengthens our connection to God. It fuels our relationship with God. It's one of the ways we access his presence. It's the way we access the power of the spirit, and we release the spirit, uh, his, his, the gifts of the spirit into uh, reality. So unceasing prayer is vital. Number four is being an unrelenting witness, just like Paul, never stopping, ceasing to proclaim in boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died for our sins as a substitutionary death, he was in the grave, he rose on the third day, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the gospel message. And so we, we, get, we proclaim, we preach, and this is the call on every believer. It's not just for the pastor or the speaker on Sunday, it's for the person fueling their gas tank on Monday, it's the person getting groceries on Tuesday, it's for the person who's going into work on Wednesday, it's for all who call on the name of the Lord. You have a call to evangelism, to represent Christ, and to bring people into the family of faith. Number five, it's intentional community. Beloved, we are not just an organization, we're a family. And families do life together. And so we create opportunities for us to come together, just like we are right now, to come together and to bear each other's burdens, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to help us learn the word of God, learn how to walk this thing out, hold each other accountable when things are out of line so that we can live lives to the glory and honor of God. So we can show each other the love of God and walk in the love of God and the grace of God. And number six is close to the Father's heart is crazy generosity. Isn't God generous? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Generosity is close to the Father's heart. And God would have us be generous because he's generous. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate the one and serve the other. You can't love both God and money. And what we realize is when we release the resources we have to God, we recognize that it's his anyways. And when we walk in generosity, when we sow seed and we are faithful in our tithes and our offerings, God blesses us beyond measure. Those are our core values. That's what we build our ministry on, what we try to drive our focus, but there's also something we call our culture values. This is how we want to feel when we gather together. Because you can put a mission statement on the wall. You, you can have these core values, but that doesn't mean everyone feels apart when they gather together. And so we want people to feel a certain way. We want people to experience 
the presence of God and to experience Jesus a certain way. And so we develop these culture values. And so this drives kind of our philosophy and how we do ministry. The first is when we gather, we want to cultivate an atmosphere that's driven by love. God's love is unconditional. Paul prays a prayer. I think it's in the book of Galatians. It says, may they have all spiritual wisdom and understanding to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God that's too great to fully comprehend. If God is the very definition of love and his love is so great we can't even fathom it, then at least people should feel loved when they gather together in the presence of the Lord. I've been in too many churches where I felt judged and ostracized And I have to question, if two or more are gathered in his name and he's there, then where's the love? We're all broken. We all bring in junk. But we should all walk away feeling loved. Not only are we driven by love, we're also committed to excellence. Again, no one is perfect, and we can't be perfect. We won't be perfect. But we're committed to do our very best. We're committed to do as much as we can Because we realize we're not just serving each other. We're serving the king of kings. This is for him. It's not for Pastor Joey or Pastor Tony. It's not for your team leader. It's not for anything else other than Jesus is worthy of it. So we sing for Jesus. We minister for Jesus. We greet people at the door for Jesus. We bake brownies, Timmy, for Jesus. And Pastor Joey, but we'll, we'll give Jesus the glory. We come for Jesus. Everything we do is for his honor and his glory. And so why flake out on Jesus? Why be a flake for Jesus? He's worthy of more. And so we're committed to excellence. And not only that, we want to be a place that's filled with the spirit of God. Again, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there among you. And if you come to a place and you cannot sense or experience the presence of God, what's the point? What's the point? So we seek the Lord. And if God is in me, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is in you, and you're working on and cultivating your relationship with God at home, kindling the fire, and I'm kindling the fire, then when we gather together, we don't have to try to light the fire. We'll just be adding all the flames together, which makes a giant bonfire. So it's up to all of us Monday through Saturday, to be seeking what we want to experience on Sunday. And if we're doing this together, then we'll have encounters with God. And I've seen God move and work in this place more in the last seven years than I've probably seen in any church I've ever been a part of. We are a part of something very special. And so that's how we want people to feel. We want them to feel loved. We want them to feel like this is a place that's committed, full of excellence. We want them to encounter the Spirit of God because that's what they need. And so as we are doing these things, often, you know, the scripture in Proverbs, it says, without vision, the people perish. 
or cast off restraint. If you don't know how you're going to do this, if you don't know how you're going to move forward, then it's easy just to give up and quit, quit trying. And a couple years ago, when we, when we purchased our property you know, around the time of COVID, we were praying and asking God, God, what's the vision? How do you want us to build this ministry? What do you want us to be doing and to be known for in this community? And the Spirit of God spoke to me, and he gave, gave me seven focuses, things that we want to focus on. And as we pursue these things, I truly believe that God is going to, going to raise us up into the calling that he has for us in this community. And so there are seven things that the Lord gave us. The first is that we're called to raise up a worship generation. One of our core values is wholehearted worship. Well, part of that is raising up a worship generation, those that will worship the Lord with fearless praise. This is important because many of us are so insecure, we don't know how to worship God with boldness and abandon. Like we can't, we're too insecure to raise our hands. We're too insecure to shout out loud. We're too insecure to even sing audibly when God is worthy of more. And I'm thinking of Dan or David when he's dancing before the ark of the Lord. It's coming back into the city. It's this big celebration and he's in this like priestly tunic and it's basically a thin linen. Who knows what he was wearing underneath? There was enough to embarrass his wife. So he probably wasn't dressed all that great. And he's dancing before the Lord, and he gets, he gets home, and his wife is, you know, doing them. How dare you? You're the king of Israel. How dare you act like that in front of all these common people? Shame on you. How dare you, you know? And what's David's response? Look, woman. That was to the Lord. And I'll be even more undignified than this. What's he saying? He's saying, compared to God, no one else matters. No one else's opinion, no one else's thought. It doesn't matter if they think I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. What God thinks of me is ultimate. And if I'm worshiping him, nothing else matters. And we want to raise up a generation of people who will worship God like that. God has put on my wife a vision and a call to build a worship school to help train people up into worship ministry and cultivate this. And, and so what does that mean? It means we got to grow. We got to grow. We need the resources. We need the, we need the people. We, we need the stuff. And I believe that's God's heart for this because he gave this as a focus. And so we're going to grow. And we're going to see that vision come to pass. The second focus, and, and these seven focuses came in three phases. The first phase had three focuses. The second phase has three focuses. The second focus in this phase was, was prayer. Again, our core value is unceasing prayer. But this focus of prayer, it, again, it's vital to the Christian life. It's vital to our church culture. Jesus said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer. So prayer is vital. And, and so one of the visions we have is to have a house of prayer. The meeting space is not just an office space. It's to be a place where it can be a house of prayer. And, and the vision that I have for that is that multiple times during the week that there's worship and prayer just going on in that space, open to the community, where people are coming and getting before the Lord just to pray and worship his name because they know God can be found there. 
God told us to raise up a heart of prayer in our city, which is why we've been hosting the National Day of Prayer Gatherings for the last three years. And again, we, we had the announcement, it's coming up. And this year, we're doing something new. We have several opportunities to come to worship and to pray during the day. And then we're meeting here at 6 o'clock uh, for a uh, community uh, gathering. And, and it's vital that, that we're participating in that. And I would just say, who all in here has Facebook? Raise your hand. Many of you? Who all here has Facebook on your phone? Raise your hand. Okay, I want you to get your phone out right now. Open your Facebook app and navigate to the Vertical Life Church page. We need your help to get the word out. So I just posted this morning, it should be the first or second post on our page, the link to our event for the National Day of Prayer. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to click on the actual link to be taken to the event page. I need you to click the like button and then also click the share button and share it to all your friends. And here's why we need you to do that. And, and this is what we would encourage you to do anytime we're doing anything at the church, we post anything at the church, because Facebook and other social media sites, they have a mathematical algorithm that says that the more people that like something and share it, it must be important for the area. And it starts putting that event in the news feed of people that live in the general area. So if you're not liking our posts and you're not sharing our posts, you're hurting our ability to get the word out. So the minimal you can do if you don't have, you know, people that you can talk to every day at work is just like and share our posts, and that helps get that information out, and we would really help that because what we want to see is a heart of prayer begin to rise up in our city. And we already had a church, a newer church in the area contact me this week that says they're going to be bringing our people, their people to our, our evening gathering. And, and so we are going to become a hub of prayer in our city, and I think that's amazing. And so we want to continue to do that and to, to provide opportunities for prayer. The, the third focus we had in this gathering, and thank you for liking and sharing. I really appreciate that. It helps us out a lot. Is our, our prophetic ministry. This is something we launched uh, just uh, not too long ago. But hearing from God is a vital skill. It's a vital thing to your spiritual life. If the Holy Spirit's in you, then God is communicating with you on a regular basis. But just like those Jews that had the veil over their eyes, sometimes we have corks in our ears. And we're so distracted with life that we miss it when he speaks or we don't know how to recognize his voice. And so we began to pursue that. God, how do we hear your voice? How do we learn to discern what you're trying to speak, what you're trying to communicate? And we, we took several through our basic training for the prophetic ministry. We formed a prophetic ministry team, and they're going to be ministering to you in just a little bit. I think it's awesome when people are stepping out in faith and using their gifts. But this is something anyone can do. If you have the Holy Spirit, then you can hear from God. And so we began to build this and start putting this together. And, and I believe that this is one of the ways that people are going to encounter God's presence because the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14, when they hear the word of the Lord proclaimed, the secrets of their heart will be exposed and they'll fall down on their knees and give glory to God. 
And that's what we are seeking, that God's word is released, that the heart of God is shared, that people have encounters with God and their lives are changed. And this is something that everyone can be a part of. But I believe just as we're getting ready to move into the next phase, as we're getting to move out of the school and into our new location, God is getting ready to move us into the next phase of our focus. Even though we're not going to give up the focus of these three things, he's adding these into our ministry. And the, primarily the next phase is going to be a focus on healing and deliverance. There are people that, that need healed, and so we want to raise people up knowing how to pray for healing and believe for healing and, and how to walk in the gifts of healing and walk in the gifts of deliverance. I don't know if you recognize this, but our nation is possessed. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the unseen world. And there is so much confusion and so much demonic activity happening around. And there's one hope for the world, and that's Jesus. And there's one light of the world, and that's the church who's been given authority by Jesus to set the captive free. And if we want to see people walk in freedom, then we need to walk in the calling that God has given us. And deliverance is part of that. And I just want to say, and I I hope you hear my heart in this. And this this is just... A father's heart. Part of intentional community, doing life together, and part of the way God designed the Christian life is for us not to do this solo, right? There's The mechanism of the church was created so we can do this thing together. And so if you're trying to live a solo Christian life, you are really crippling your faith because you're meant to do this with the body, And so it's important we grow personally in our relationship with God, but it's also important we grow corporately in our relationship with God. And so we have small groups. We have the Sunday morning small group. We run other small groups throughout the week for you to come, get connected, build a relationship. We've got our, our, our kids' small groups that happen on Sunday mornings, our youth small group that happens on Sunday afternoons. And so we have different opportunities like that. We've got the National Day of Prayer event. We, we have different ministries. We have the a city walk that we've been doing where we gather together in the park and we go out and minister to people together. We have all these different things that we do. And if you're able to come, but you choose not to come, you're not just hurting yourself, but you're hurting the church. Because it takes us all. We're all, we're all a body. And I get there's things like you got work and you got family things that you have scheduled. We, we get that. But if you're able to come and you choose not to come, you're putting a stumbling block in your ability to grow in your relationship with God and in the church. And it, it's, it's almost without fail, you're just as happy as you are involved in the church. And that doesn't mean serving on Sundays. We need people to serve on Sundays. But there's other layers to the life of a church, ministering together, praying together, sharing the gospel together, bearing each other's burdens, leading on each other, helping each other walk through different storms of life. There are things that we do together that we can't do alone. And if you're not engaged in the the life of the church, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt us because it hurts our ability to grow and move forward. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church that God has given leaders, the fivefold ministry, your 
pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers and shepherds, their job is to equip you to do the ministry. It's not our job to do the ministry, which is how most of us feel. Well, I got to come, come forward and the pastor's got to pray over me or I got I to gotta go see the pastor because of this. No, my job is to help you know how to do the ministry. And it's your job to go and do the ministry. So if you're leaving the ministry up to the pastor, or you're leaving the ministry up to those who are leading other ministries or, or, or whatever, then we're failing in our mission altogether. So we're giving you tools. We're giving you opportunities. It's your job to take advantage of those, to learn, to grow, to move forward, and that's how the church grows, and that's how we move forward. And I, I just believe that some of us need to start learning to walk in the gifts of the Spirit to walk and to learn and to grow in our knowledge of the, the word because God is about to move us into this next phase, to the next season of ministry. He doesn't want to keep us stagnant and doing the same thing. And we need a church that's driven by love. We need a church that's committed to excellence, giving our best, that's walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is going to launch us into the last phase, which from what I've seen from the Lord is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Because part of the space, too, is local outreach, creating opportunities for, for people to come and get involved and accept Christ. But the last phase is, is world outreach. What I believe God has planted in what he's speaking to us is he wants to take what we're doing here and he wants to replicate it around the world. I don't even know how that's going to happen. I don't even know when. I might be completely bald by then. But I just believe that's what God wants to do. And so what we're doing now is setting the foundation and planting the seed for what he's going to accomplish then. And how amazing is it when there's Vertical Life Church ministries in all the countries around the world? Were it not just here in Clio, but in Sudan, and in Africa, and in Australia, and in Kenya, and in China, and in Iraq, and all around the world, there are groups that we are discipling, we are raising up, and we're sending out to be missionaries with the gospel of Christ all around the world. So what's that mean? It means right now, beloved, in this last phase, as God enables us to impact and disciple nations around the world, that right now, this is our paragraph in Acts 29. This is the paragraph God is writing about Vertical Life Church. This is the paragraph that God is writing about your life in the history of the church. What the Spirit of God is writing and you play a key role in us succeeding in the call and the vision that God has given us. What's this mean? It means we're going to need more people to step up, to join us in carrying the vision. That means we need people to lead small groups, to open their home for meetings and gatherings, to be committed, not just once a month, but maybe once a week. To be committed to what God's calling us to do so that we can accomplish the very thing that he's leading us to do. We're going to need more people to step up 
as we pursue this vision that God has put on our lives, as we equip you and you go and do the ministry. So when we look at the last days, like John saw in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And we, we did a study on this here recently uh, called The End of Days. And in the seven letters to the seven churches, almost every church had something good that Jesus said about them and something bad Jesus said about them, except for one. There's one church that got only good report. And my heart for Vertical Life Church is we're that church. Then when Jesus writes his account or his perspective of Vertical Life Church that he only has good things to say, I want us to be a church Jesus can praise and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want us to be driven by love, committed to excellence, flowing in the spirit, building on the core values as we fulfill the sevenfold focus. And I know if we remain faithful, then we will faithfully pass the torch on to future generations and leave a godly legacy. So my question to you today is, we begin to close. Let me invite the prophetic team to come and prepare to minister to us as the music begins to play. My question to you today, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, is how do you want your paragraph in the last chapter of Acts to be written? Paul's paragraph said he continued to preach boldly to everyone and no one stood against him. What about you? What's going to be written about your life? Oh, they started strong, but life got hard, so they quit. Oh, man, they were so gifted, but they took their eyes off Jesus. And they made some decisions that derailed their life. Where is it going to be written? Well done, good and faithful servant. You stayed faithful. You stayed committed. You were driven by love. You walked in my spirit. And you enabled my light to shine bright in the community of Clio and the surrounding towns. What do you want to be recorded? And will you today commit your life to Jesus? Will you repent of the sins that you have in your life that you know are in the way of you following God's call in your life? Will you repent of following culture and using the culture as your barometer for what's cool, what's important? And will you commit to following Jesus and pursue his will for your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you died for us and you went outside of time to the end of time and you offered your blood at the throne at the end of the world so that 
all of this stuff that we wrestle with every day would be covered. And now those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Our slate's clean. We stand righteous and pure before you. And we can't even really fathom that because we deal with our own brokenness every day. But we believe the word of God. We believe in the unyielding truth of the word of God. And if you said we're clean, then we are clean. If we are free, then we are free. If we are made new, then we are made new. If we feel lost, but the word says we're adopted and we are part of the family of God, then we've been found in Jesus' name. God, if you said you have an abundant life for us in following Jesus, then we believe it. I pray, God, that that faith would rise, that our belief would begin to direct our lives. And God, I pray against every lie the enemy has spoken over us. We all deal with different lies, different struggles, different issues, things that are stumbling blocks that are in the way of what you've called us to do. God, I bind it and break that in the name of Jesus. God, I ask that in this new day, in this new season, God, we would walk free, that we would lift, that our burdens would be lifted, that our insecurities would be shed, God, that hopelessness would be replaced with hope and faith in Christ, that your faithfulness, God, would be the driving force in our faith knowing that you never fail, you never sleep, you never slumber, you're always on time, and you're always good. God, we, may we be the people that are praised by our Lord when our chapter is written. May we be the people that are said to be faithful even to the end. God, may we put you first in our finances. May we put you first in our time, in our week, in our attention. And God, may you so fill us with the Spirit that he just overflows in our lives. And when we gather together in this place, that no one can walk in these doors, whether here or in our new facility, God. No one can walk into our gathering without knowing they've met with God. I just pray, Holy Spirit, your anointing continue to fall. Fill our prophetic team as they minister to us now. Open their ears to hear. Give them clarity of thought. We come against all confusion and any distraction the enemy may want to bring. Anything that is stifling or, or standing against what you want to accomplish, God, in our hearts. We ask you, Lord, to have your way. In Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.